1: The Bengals beat the Chiefs in the AFC Championship last year in overtime. Chief safety Justin Reed wasn't on the team at the time, but he was asked what he would have done differently in that game. Here's what Justin Reed said A lot of it's going to come down to making the play on the ball, you know, and they have 88 um, Higby. No, it's not it's not was with the Rams. Um What's his name? Higgins, it is Higgins. It's Higgins. It Higby and Higgins. Uh-huh. they're gonna have him back. He's a very talented receiver too, more of a finesse type of guy. Um, not the best blocker. Um I'm gonna lock him down. You know, <laughs> straight up. Uh so you know, we're gonna have to come out of the game, like I said, play our best game and go out and do it. Reed thereafter got out the mop and the bucket, and he went to Twitter to say this: "To be honest, I meant Hayden Hurst for the man matchups. Nevertheless, any and everybody is still getting locked up." That caught the attention of Bengals tight end Hayden Hurst. Here's what he had to say about Justin Reed's remarks: "I don't know. I mean, you could pick anybody in this locker room, but you know, I feel like I'm the last person you probably want to talk about because um, I have a long memory." <laughs> Well, you don't need a long memory because the game's just a few days from now. And Peter, Justin Reed fumbled this one on another level because he was asked what he would have done if he would have been part of the Chiefs' defense that day. Hayden Hurst wasn't on the team. CJ Uzama was the tight end at the time. Hurst came in the offseason after Uzama left via free agency. So. Justin Reed got that so wrong he doesn't even know how wrong he got it.
0: I mean, this falls under the category of there's six days where football isn't played in most cities <laughs> in the NFL, okay? And this falls into the category of who gives a crap? I mean, <laughs> I- I- you know what just Justin Reed, Justin Reed is going to say, yeah, I'm going to lock down whoever I come up against. I mean, did he say Hayden Hurst stinks? No, he didn't say that. He didn't even know his name. And, you know, Hayden Hurst, oh, he's that's I'm the last guy you want to talk crap about. I mean, who cares? You know, I I just think Mike, look, I'm an old man. And I'm I'm sending my suit back and i'm raging at the kids to get off my lawn i get it but in my years covering the nfl there have been so many mountains made out of so many stupid molehills and when i read about this yesterday i just said to myself classic example of no of of people i'm not saying inventing stuff okay you want to use it as the fourth note in your locker room notes that's fine you want to make it a headline it's, it's silly. It is flat-out silly.
1: Well, in this day and age, there are no longer fourth notes in locker room notes. Every little blurb like that is its own headline, but that's a different issue altogether. The point, I think, is that these two teams, for the most part, are very careful about saying anything that could be used. As the old bulletin board material, you have a lot of bouquets being thrown back and forth between Patrick Mahomes and Joe Burrow. But I think there's an undercurrent of animosity there, especially coming from the Chiefs. The Chiefs lost to the Bengals twice last year, late in the regular season and in the playoffs. And, you know, at least with the Bills rivalry the Chiefs are on the right side of it when it matters. The Bills have won the last two in the regular season, but until the Bills win in the postseason, the Chiefs still own the Buffalo Bills. The Bengals have quietly acquired title to the Kansas City Chiefs, and I think there's a lot more bubbling under the surface, and I'll interpret this dust-up between Reed and Hurst as just a little indication of what's being said behind closed doors. I think that and that's good because if they're carrying around pent up frustration, maybe that guarantees a better football game. So um, I, I think it became a story because nobody else from those two teams is giving anyone anything that they can use to showcase what should be the one game that we're all circling this weekend. That This is a conference championship rematch between two teams that are on a collision course for the postseason. So, it, it's a huge game, and except for Justin Reed and Hayden Hurst, everybody's keeping their mouth shut when it comes to saying anything that could be used against them. I think what is really interesting when you think about
0: the Bengals right now, Mike, I, I'm going to say something that that is, you, you know, you've got to sort of put your thinking cap on a little bit, okay? But But I think that if you look at two teams – in the AFC, one of which was the number one seed last year. And the other of which everybody thought was the nominal uh, best team in the AFC at the end of the year only didn't win to go to the Super Bowl. And that's Kansas City. So if you take the Tennessee Titans uh, and the Kansas City Chiefs since January 1st, okay, the Cincinnati Bengals against those two teams, are 3 and 0 and could be 4 and 0 in this calendar year because remember they played the Chiefs um you know right after New Year's last year I think it was January 2 and then they beat Kansas City again in the playoffs and then I and I'm sorry they're 4 and 0 they're 4 and 0 against those two teams because they beat Tennessee uh last year in the playoffs and then this year in the regular season so I look at all this and I just say, I think it was fashionable and I was probably among them because I picked Baltimore to win the AFC North this year. I think it's fashionable to say that the team that loses the Super Bowl, history says that uh, they don't perform all that well the next year. But it's a good thing Joe Burrow doesn't read history. I don't think he does. Maybe he does, but it, or at least he doesn't pay any attention to history because he's slapping history in the face this year. For the Bengals to be 4-0 and against the number one seed from last year and the team that everybody thought by the end of the year was the best team in the AFC uh, and could be 5-0 and after Sunday, that is an amazing feat by the Cincinnati Bengals.
1: And it is stunning to me that the Bengals aren't more... Regarded as a Super Bowl contender. I think it's because last year's Super Bowl run had a pretty strong vibe of they got lucky. Now, they would disagree and I disagree with it. But when you look at each of the games, there was that weird call on a play that looked a lot like the Josh Allen last night rolling to the right. And just at the sideline throwing the ball. Remember the inadvertent whistle that marred the win over the Raiders. And it didn't really feel like the Bengals were dramatically superior to the Raiders that day. They had to fend off a late drive by Las Vegas to win that game. And then they go to Tennessee and Joe Burrow gets sacked nine times. And somehow they get lucky and win that one. And then they go to Kansas City and they're down big what was it 21-3 at one point in the first half and it was over and the Chiefs get greedy and the next thing you know it's a game and the next thing you know the Bengals win and they almost won the Super Bowl but I just don't think that a lot of people looked at what they did last year and said this is sustainable and early in the season those people were proven kind of right but here come the Bengals even without Jamar Chase they've been very good in recent weeks and now they get chased back and what they're doing is sustainable and Joe Burrow is healthy, and Joe Burrow is getting it done, and Joe Burrow is determined, and we've just kind of forgotten about him. We get so caught up in Patrick Mahomes and Josh Allen and whoever the the new flavor of the month is. Burrow was the flavor of the month last year, but we just kind of moved on. And and I say we, like collectively, everybody who pays attention to football, I think we need to start paying a lot more attention to the Bengals, and we will if they win at home on Sunday where they are two-and-a-half point underdogs to the Kansas City Chiefs, and I guarantee you that fact is going to be used by someone in that locker room to get those players even more fired up. You know, I'm
0: sure they will, but uh, I don't think there's any shock uh, to be underdogs to Patrick Mahomes and Travis Kelsey and Andy Reid. <laughs> you know, I mean, that's, I think... Uh, you still take you know, it as a slap in the face Packers. if you're the Bengals. You might. I'm sure, I'm sure, and look... Coaches can use anything at any time, and I'm sure that Zach Taylor, if he feels like it will help him, will use it because he's an NFL coach, and that's what NFL coaches do. I think here's the way I look at it, Mike. So in both of those games, you talk about why did the Bengals not enter this year getting the kind of respect that you think that they should. I think number one is history. The fact that Super Bowl losing teams traditionally have not been great the next year. And it's, I mean, it's almost annual. Okay, that's number one. And number two, just remember, you know, in in their last two games of the AFC playoffs, Ryan Tannehill and Patrick Mahomes threw five passes to Bengals. And so you get picked off five times. And even though you might be a better team than the Bengals. If you get picked off five times, you're not a better team than the Bengals. And I think and and the way that those things happened, the fact that Tannehill threw an interception in the last minute of the game and the Bengals got in position for Evan McPherson to kick a ninety eight yard field goal or you know, whatever it was. And then the next week, almost the exact same thing happens. Mahomes throws that interception. I think it was to Von Bell. Uh, and, And, you know, they go down and kick another field goal to win. I'm not in any way minimizing what the Bengals did. The Bengals won those games on the road fair, square, deservedly. What I am saying is that, you know, those... I'm not saying they're coin flip games, but they're damn close. And so I think that's why entering this year plus the fact that uh, Super Bowl losers don't perform that well the following year. That's why I think everybody
1: was dubious on the Bengals. Trivia question for you, Peter King. When is the last time the Kansas City Chiefs won a game in Cincinnati?
0: 2017.
1: I I was going to give you a hint. When is the year that you began covering the Cincinnati Bengals?
0: Oh, that's crazy! 1984.
1: Yes, that's the last time. The Are Chief you out of your Cincinnati. mind? That is.
0: That, that's what the sheet says. That is the craziest thing I've heard.
1: <laughs> the, the The research uh, has been confirmed. 1984, six straight wow. losses. It's odd that they haven't played more than six times in 40 years. Almost in Cincinnati since they're in the yeah. same conference and they cross paths more often than if they were in different conferences. But, yes, six straight losses to the Bengals during that period. And it is surprising because for most of that period, the Bengals have been crap and the Chiefs have been pretty good. So uh, wow. Cincinnati's got something figured out. I don't know. Maybe they send a bunch of bad chili to the Kansas City Hotel The night before the game, maybe that's the secret. Mike, that was, Um, I just looked it up. That's the second
0: NFL game I ever covered. It was the second game of that season. Kansas City 27, Bengals 22. I have zero recollection of it. I wonder who played quarterback. Would it have been Bill Kenny? Would it have been Steve DeBerg? Todd Black, could have been, yeah, I bet it was. Todd Blackledge, I bet it was. Todd Blackledge against Ken uh, Anderson, I bet.
1: In 84, or was it Boomer and He was drafted in 84. So well, maybe Boomer, that would have been Anderson. Boomer's
0: second game as a Bengal. I don't think he was starting. Yeah. Uh, I, I'm pretty sure Ken Anderson would have been playing the first month or so. Yeah, Todd Blackledge, Blackledge versus Ken
1: Anderson. We Thank you, Courtney. Uh, here, here, here here's here's my here's my suggestion unsolicited free so he's getting his money's worth and you yeah. read fly peter king to cincinnati to cover this game if you want to win that's the key. <laughs> bring peter back <laughs> that's that's yeah. the only way uh if if they want to make it happen in cincinnati for the first time since the year of ghostbusters 1984 hey Mike, uh, by the way chase by the way go ahead By the way, isn't this
0: one of the sneaky great weeks on the schedule like in a long time? Like, I am totally fascinated by Miami at San Francisco. Kansas City at Cincinnati is the game of of almost any week this year, the way those two teams are playing. And, I mean, there are so many really interesting matchups and important matchups this week. I think this is going to be, I think, a fabulous Sunday.
1: And, look, one of the realities of the schedule-making process, which you always chronicle better than anyone, when they pick the big platform, primetime, non-flexible games, in May, used to be April, now it's finalized in May. You get some games late in the year that look like they're going to be great and you throw in 10, 11, 12, 13 weeks of football and those games suddenly aren't great anymore. Then you have games that get tucked into a regional window at 4.05 Eastern that not much of the country is going to see and those games become, why can't we see that? in a standalone window in prime time. And that's the real, I don't want to say tragedy. I mean, relative to other things, it's not, but when you look at the great games we have this weekend, and maybe it's just, there's so many great games. You can't find a spot for all of them for people to watch them. But the idea that the 49ers hosting the dolphins is a regional four Oh five game. Oh boy. Unbelievable. That arguably is the game of the day. All due respect to the chiefs and Bengals. Yeah. The, the, The fact, when
0: you look at the schedule, the one thing that, you know, every week in my column, I look ahead to the next week, and the fact that this is a regional telecast that will be seen probably, and I'm serious, probably in about 18% of the country, it's absolutely shocking. This is... And I know we're going to talk about this game later, so I'll save a couple of little nuggets I have on this game. We're going to
1: talk about it right now. We're we're, we're transitioning to
0: it right now, so go. Okay, good, 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 good. I'm going to tell you why it's so shocking that it is in the place that it's in. Not only because Miami, and I was thrilled to see the Miami game against the Chargers uh, made the Sunday night game, because obviously – You, Mike, and you wrote this. You wrote this. You said, imagine how bad Russell Wilson and the Denver Broncos are for the NFL to be flexing out of a Mahomes game. You know, there's two rules in the NFL office, okay? Don't flex out of the Dallas Cowboys. Don't flex out of Mahomes, period. And for them (laughs) to flex out of Mahomes, that tells you, that everybody in the NFL office thinks it's going to be 26 to nothing with 10 minutes left in the second quarter. That's, that's what it tells you, not 26, but whatever it is. But, but it, and so let, let's, let's now go back to the fact that a, a game this good can be on television to 18% of the country. It's, 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 it's amazing. And, the reason why I think that Miami is so interesting right now is that as much as any team can be hidden in the NFL, as much as any good team, the Miami Dolphins are the most explosive team right now, downfield offensive team in football right now. And honestly, they've been hidden. you know. And, and in my opinion, they could get flexed again the Miami at Buffalo game, which is supposed to be a Saturday game, I think they could be on two weeks in a row, Mike, on Sunday night football. You know, after going home and getting home at nine o'clock in the morning after that Sunday night game at the Chargers. My guess is that they're going to be flexed into the Sunday night game the next week at Buffalo, where I'm sure it'll be nice and toasty at eight twenty on Sunday, uh Sunday evening. But if I can say just one other thing about the X's and O's of this game that absolutely fascinate me, Tua Valoa has missed two and a half games this year. And on passes thrown more than ten yards beyond the line of scrimmage this year, he leads the NFL according to next gen stats. He leads the NFL in downfield passes thrown. In the center of the field. And what I mean is that next gen stats separates the the field into three 18-yard uh, uh, lanes, okay? On the left, in the center, and the right. And Tua Valoa is the best by far at completing deep balls down the middle of the field. All right. The San Francisco 49ers, according to Next Gen stats, are easily the number 1 team in defense in the center of the field. So this is like Fred Warner and you know that great young safety uh Hafanga uh from from USC that that has made this the story within a story this week so that the 49ers I think they do best on defense you know to combat what Miami does best on offense. So I I think this is an absolutely fascinating game.
1: One last point on the scheduling reality as well, because I've gotten this question from plenty of viewers and readers all week long. Why wasn't this game moved to prime time? Well, first of all, the NFL makes the decisions. And second of all, it's a Cowboys game. As Peter said, one of the rules of the league office, never flex out of a Cowboys game. And I know they're playing the Colts, they could be playing the Ohio University Bobcats, quarterbacked by Russell Wilson, and you wouldn't flex the Cowboys out of primetime. You're getting $25 million guaranteed for a Cowboys practice, for crying out loud, so they're not flexing out of that game, no way, no how, and it's just kind of the way it all works out. Peter, let's hear a little bit from the head coach of the Dolphins, because another intriguing wrinkle to this, Mike McDaniel worked with Kyle Shanahan in San Francisco from 2017 through last year before becoming the coach of the Dolphins. Here's McDaniel on facing his former team in his first year as a head coach.
0: I will do everything in my power to make it um, another game because I think that should be the objective of any head coach uh, is that you make it about the players and I I really stray away from um, making anything about me. I just don't believe in it. Um, the, the, uh, I think that I have a very high opinion of the, the 49ers franchise and players, coaches, staff members. Um, you know, I have a lot of love for anybody that I, that I work with, especially for, um, that, that extended period of time.
1: Great point that Chris Sims made yesterday. Mike McDaniel knows D'Amico Ryan's defense better than Kyle Shanahan knows Josh Boyer's defense. Boyer's the coordinator in Miami. Ryan's was the coordinator last year in San Francisco when Mike McDaniel was there. McDaniel, a really smart guy, encyclopedic knowledge, took a lot of notes, I'm sure, when he was working with Kyle Shanahan and picked up on a lot of things. And, you know, yes, Shanahan knows him, but he knows the whole operation. And uh, that that just adds to the chess match of who's going to do what when to take advantage of the unique knowledge that they have about the other guy, Peter. Mike, I can't
0: get over the pineapple. You got it. Oh, there's admit, the pineapple. Staring. It's not upside down. When you down. were staring at it's Mike McDaniel, down. right there, could you get over the pineapple? I mean, I don't know. That is the most distracting background that any coach or player (laughs) speaks to every week in the NFL. I mean, we should have a vote. What is the weirdest background for any coach or player? This is the runaway winner. You've got the Dolphins and you've got the Pineapple. Just very off-putting. Okay. So one of my favorite moments football. of the
1: season, one of my favorite moments of the season though, when we recognized in real time during the program, the significance of the upside down pineapple. <laughs> do we have the upside down
0: pineapple or or do we not have it? I, I mean, that was
1: they're efforting.
0: All right. Yeah. They're efforting Mike. Okay. So there's one thing about what Chris Sims said that I think is incredibly spot on, okay? And, and that is that D'Amico Ryans right now, I talked to Fred Warner after the game last week, you know, when the, the, the 49ers pitched the fourth shutout of this NFL season against the Saints. And he talked about the thing he loves about D'Amico Ryans is, you know, he's a former player. He understands how players feel, what they want to do. He has a player feel of the defense. And I think the strength of uh, of McDaniel going against of Mike McDaniel going against that defense is that every day last year in practice, every Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday during the season, all through training camp, he saw the imprint that D'Amico Ryan's put on that defense. There can't be many people. He's got to be the person in the United States outside of the 49ers building who knows that defense better than anyone. And I think that's significant. I think it's really, really significant because he has to know this week how is D'Amico Ryans? You know, the, the old spy versus spy? You know, you know what I'm going to do, so I'm going to do this instead of what you think I'm going to do. And, and you know, you go back and forth and back and forth. And I think what you're going to see in this game is Mike McDaniel look at what D'Amico Ryans does best. And I would not be surprised if in this game... You know, they counteract what D'Amico Ryans thinks he's going to do, which is try to throw the ball over the top of their great middle defense and maybe throw either a bunch of crossing routes or a bunch of sideline stuff more than they have the whole year. Who knows what they'll do? But I think that McDaniel having that advantage, his mind has to be swimming now with the ideas of, what do they think we're going to do, and
1: how are we going to counteract that? Should be a great game. We're going to take a break. When we return, some of the other great games we will rip through for week 13 as we remain on the lookout for the upside-down pineapple. Oh, oh, wait. There oh, there it is. Keep it right side up. You're sending the wrong message if it's upside down. We'll be back with more right after this. <laughs>
0: Reese's Peanut Butter Cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, (laughs) That's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil.
1: I understand that you guys have, uh, you know, a lot of questions. uh, But with my legal team and my clinical team, um, there's only football questions that I can really address at this time. I was just trying to whatever I can do to to play football in, in 2022. So, you know, most of the, the settlement stuff with the NFL was mostly my agency and legal team. I had no control. Uh, my main focus was doing everything I need to do so I can play this year. Uh, like I said, um, at this time, uh, I can't address any of that stuff. Who knows what the future holds, but right now I'm, all, I'm so locked in on you know, just basically being the starting quarterback for the Cleveland Browns. Sean Watson meeting yesterday with reporters declining to answer any questions unrelated to football. It was kind of surprising, Peter, because the last time we heard from him in the middle of August on the same day, he agreed to an 11 game suspension and a $5 million fine. He did answer questions and he came off not in an ideal way. Maintaining his innocence on the same day, he accepted that staggering fine and 11 game suspension. And look, you open yourself up to criticism when you clam up on a situation like this, but, but sometimes it's better to say nothing at all if there's a chance that what you say is going to make it worse. You know, when Kalen Kaler, the athletic this week, wrote that
0: there will be a number, 10, 12, whatever, of his victims in NRG Stadium this weekend in a box you know, with their legal team, um, I was fascinated by that. The reason I was fascinated is that I don't believe there's going to be any overt um, demonstration, let's just say, but the fact that they're going to be there, I mean, if you're the CBS crew doing this game, you've got to show them on Sunday, period. You can't ignore that. You've got to show them at the game, and let's say, and I have no idea, will there be a demonstration outside? I don't know, but if there is, CBS has got to show that, period. You know, they've got to show the entire story of this game. This is a gigantic story in the NFL, and the fact is, it's happening on a week that there are so many ridiculously good and important games, but Mike, Deshaun Watson is going to play his first game in 700 days on Sunday. His first game, two weeks shy of two years, um, you you know, from the end of the year, or three weeks shy from uh, two years. And I want to say one thing about football first, uh, or about football now, and that is that, you know, I don't know how anybody can expect Deshaun Watson, who hasn't been hit in two years, he played at what? two series in a preseason game, one whatever it was. But here's a guy who hasn't been hit in two years. He he hasn't played in a football game in two years. And I don't include a preseason game there in a very short amount of action in that game. But, I mean, I'm not saying that he's going to be lousy. I'm not saying he's going to be... I don't know what he's going to be. But I think some expectations that he's going to hit the ground running. I, I don't know how you hit the ground running in any walk of life when you haven't done that thing for two years. So if I were the Browns, I'd really temper my expectations about Deshaun Watson.
1: Yeah, practicing is not playing. The good news, though, is they're playing the 1-9-1 Houston Texans. Plenty of guys on the team never played with Deshaun Watson. And this may be a situation where for as agitated as the organization tries to get over the fact that Watson rejected them and created this major distraction and made them all look bad, I still don't know that they're good enough to muster the reaction necessary because the Browns are still the better team. And it does get tucked in that window. One o'clock Eastern, eight games. Peter, the one thing that I'm curious about, beyond demonstrations, beyond the presence of accusers in a sweep, The potential for chance, like the one that we heard in Jacksonville, Jacksonville of all places, they got no dog in this fight. They don't, I mean, it's, but they were, they were loud and profane in reference to Deshaun Watson. And there's only so much that the, the microphones can avoid the ambient noise of a game when, uh, When a certain two-syllable word starting with bull is called out repeatedly, you hear it. So uh, it'll be interesting to see how the fans at large deal with Deshaun Watson and try to get in his head with the things they chant from the stands. All right. Some other great games in that one o'clock window. The Jets at the Vikings. Who would have dreamed the Jets would be seven and four? Who would have dreamed the Vikings would be nine and two? And... Hey, look, the Vikings' defense is not good statistically. Yes, they're 9-2. and two. Yes, they tend to step up when it matters most, like they did last Thursday night against the Patriots. The last couple of drives of the game, they found a way to make a stop when they couldn't make a stop all night. The Jets' defense is good enough to shut down the Minnesota offense. The question is, can the Jets' offense do enough to take advantage of a bad Minnesota defense? And you can make the argument that, that the Jets can, Peter. Look, I think the way the Jets'
0: defense has played so far this year, they can play with anybody. The question is, as you say, you know, is Mike White going to be able to be consistent enough with that offense with not much of a running game? Is he going to be able to be consistent enough with a real young offense and young offensive weapons? You know, I, I mean, they basically need a couple of very young players, you know, Elijah Moore and Garrett Wilson, to be big in this game in Minnesota because, look, with the, with the weapons the Vikings have, and look, I think, you know, we talk about what's fun about this weekend. I want the ISO cameras every time Justin Jefferson is on Sauce Gardner. I, I, I mean, you know, if I'm doing that game you know, if I'm the producer in that game, I am devoting one camera the entire game to Justin Jefferson and every time that he's on Sauce Gardner, I want the replay of that after the play. It, it, that's how great a matchup and how fun a matchup that is. So, I Mike, there's so many reasons why this is a really cool game, a fun game. And that's certainly one of them,
1: Jefferson against the Sauce. Sauce Gardner, the prohibitive favorite for Defensive Rookie of the Year. He has shown that he has coverage skills, but when you face Justin Jefferson, you better have ball skills too. You may have him covered, he's still going to go get the ball, and no matter how hard you hit him or he hits the ground, he's not losing possession of the ball once he gets it. And obviously Sauce Gardner has not seen anyone like Justin Jefferson in his rookie NFL season. So that should be a great game. How about the Commanders at the Giants? The Commanders, two-and-a-half-point road favorites against the New York Giants. Giants, seven and four. Commanders, seven and five. It feels like these teams are moving in different directions, which helps explain why the Commanders are favorites away from home. The Giants have just kind of been in a funk lately, Peter. Do you see them snapping out of it? Was there anything that you saw last Thursday against the Cowboys that gives you confidence they can snap out of it?
0: The one thing I saw against the Cowboys is that they battled. I mean, for them to be ahead in that game at halftime, um, even though that was sort of a Scott Novak special, um, you know, there were more flags than points. Uh, it, it was a ridiculously flag-filled game. You know, the fact is they now have lost um, – consecutive weeks decisively by the time the game was over to Detroit and to Dallas. And if they lose this game to Washington this week, for all the hullabaloo about the New York Giants, if Washington beats the Giants on Sunday, the New York Giants will be in sole possession of last place in the NFC East. Remember two weeks ago, three weeks ago, we are all saying, oh God, the Giants are a cinch for the playoffs. Well, then they lost to Detroit, and then everybody started looking at the schedule down the stretch, which ain't easy. And so I think I look at this and I say, you know, Mike, you know what what said a lot to me, quite honestly? It said a lot to me that the NFL inflexing uh, Miami at the Chargers for next Sunday night. Uh, do you know what game they bypassed the Giants and the Eagles? Which one? Giants-Eagles. Yes. They bypassed the Giants and the Eagles. Now, normally, would you say that bypassing the best team in the NFC against a, a rising division rival that has shocked the world this year and is 7-4, and four, does that make any sense at all? Really? Does it make any sense? It says to me, the NFL thinks that the Giants elevator button is going down and it's an express. And so that to me, it, it, you know, the Giants can reverse that. The Giants can beat Washington on Sunday and and again, prove to the world, you don't know what you're talking about. But we're going to have to see that to believe, believe it's Sunday in the Middlelands.
1: Yeah, also sacrificing the top market in the country, too. Another reason to consider that game. But you're right, the NFL picking a game that will be more exciting. And that's the way that the flex should be. Mike Tarico said this on the SI Media podcast this week with Jimmy Traina. The whole idea of flexing should be, should be to put the best possible game for the benefit of the fans in prime time. And all other factors should take a back seat to that. You and I both know, Peter, that sometimes they don't for a variety of reasons but it should be the best possible game. And in that case, Chargers-Dolphins, a better game than Giants-Eagles, even if Giants-Eagles possibly could deliver a better overall viewership for the contest. All right, let's take a break. When we return, Titans face the Eagles. Another great game to be played, and A.J. Brown getting a chance to revenge against the team that traded him. More PFT Live right after this.
0: Um, Of course, I've come to peace about it, you know, um, I'm with the Eagles, we're 10-1, you know, we're doing a really good job here, you know, uh, you know, of course, early on, you know, I had mixed emotions, but, uh, you know, I I changed my family life forever, you know, that was, that was the goal, you know, Uh, so, you know,
1: I'm thankful for Tennessee, but, you know, i'm here in philly now uh when you go through things in, in and you learn that it's a business you know of course you know uh early on and i wanted to try to finish my career tight and i think i made that uh i stated that but
0: you know i learned that it's a business and you got to do what's best because they're going to do what's best for them so
1: uh and you grow up one of the big surprises during the first round of the 2022 draft the titans sending aj brown to the Philadelphia Eagles as he entered a contract year. They didn't want to pay him big money. The Eagles were happy to do it and give up a first-round pick to do so. The Titans select receiver Traylon Burks, who has begun in recent weeks to round into the form that they need him to. He's fought through some injuries. But A.J. Brown, look, I he has sent, I think, some mixed signals about whether he wanted out or whether they decided to trade him. It is unconventional to scratch off a lottery ticket and trade it in for another lottery ticket instead of paying the player and keeping the player. That's why you use first-round draft picks to get a guy who's going to become part of your nucleus, part of your foundation, and you do have to pay him a second contract. That's part of the price you pay for having a great player in round one, but that's what the Titans decided to do, and now they get to see A.J. Brown and the rest of the Eagles. Great matchup. Seven and four Titans coming off of a loss that Many expected would not occur to the Bengals, especially after the postseason loss to Cincinnati last year at the Eagles. Ten and one Eagles still four and a half point favorites. Peter, I feel a level of desperation from Mike Vrabel and company for this one. Look, the Eagles don't have a a huge cushion in their division. They definitely don't have a huge cushion in the race for the number one seed in the NFC. But, you know, the Titans, yeah, they're going to win their division, but you don't want to be the four seed if you can avoid it. And have to play the best number two seed, the best number two team in one of the other divisions, when it's time to get to the playoffs. You want to be higher in the pecking order, and the Titans are in danger of losing that if they keep losing games. I just thought of
0: exactly what you were, gonna, what you were saying, Mike, uh, about games like this and why they're important for Tennessee. I mean, just let's project into the future for the third weekend of January. Tennessee's home. They're the four seed, and here come the Miami Dolphins. Do you really want that? Do you really want that? And so, and I, hey, look, it, or or might be the Buffalo Bills. You know, so do you really want that? I don't think you want that. You know, and you know it, and so I think the one thing about this game that is so interesting, and I I know that everybody will talk about. The AJ Brown factor. And I'm gonna say one thing about the AJ Brown factor. Mike, do you remember back to draft night and draft weekend when you know you saw and look, Mike Vrabel is one of those guys, the old cliche keeps his cards close to the vest. Okay? But didn't you sense on draft weekend that Mike Vrabel there it is. was not well done happy. control room? There, there it that's is. That's fantastic.
1: There it is. There he is. He's got there that little okay. He's got that little uh that little neck thing like uh, uh, yeah. yes. the shake of the head saying,
0: Are you kidding me? There it is. We have tried for years to develop our own stars here in Nashville. And now we can't pay you know one of the top five receivers in football. Now we're letting him go. And again, look. So they get Traylon Burks for him, And I understand, Mike, you know what? There are some teams, I could not shake the feeling that night after that trade was made. I said, this was a Tampa Bay Rays move. That's, that's what it hit me as. You know, the fact that, so the Rays, once they get a gigantic star, are not going to pay them $25 million a year. They're just not going to do it. You know, and that's obviously in baseball. But in football, it struck me that John Robinson and Amy Adams Strunk had a number. And if they couldn't get to that number, including the guarantee, you know, obviously, if they couldn't get to that number, then they were going to listen to offers for him. And obviously, the Eagles swooped in. And right now, uh, as, right now, the, the, they are on course right now if, if A.J. Brown stays healthy. He's on course to have about a 1,400-yard season or 13-something-yard season. And, and, Mike, he's averaging almost 16 yards a catch. He is exactly what Jalen Hurts needed. And, 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 look, every week you look at it and every week you look at the impact that A.J. Brown makes in games, and he has been a gigantic help for the Philadelphia Eagles to be sitting there with the number one seed right now.
1: First of all, thank you for calling it a Tampa Bay Rays move and not a Pittsburgh Pirates move and not reminding me <laughs> of the fact that the Pirates would do the same damn thing and likely will yeah, again, would. And again and again <laughs> you, you mentioned Jalen Hurts. The friendship between Hurts and Brown, one of the big reasons why Brown ended up in Philadelphia, and it was one of the steps taken in the offseason by Howie Roseman, the GM of the Eagles and company, To support Jalen Hurts. And look at what we have from Jalen Hurts now. Incredible combination of running and throwing and leadership. A clear MVP candidate as the Eagles move toward the number one seed. 157 rush yards and 153 pass yards last week against the Green Bay Packers in prime time. Only the fourth guy in league history to do that. And Peter, I'm just so impressed with everything about Jalen Hurts. And as a runner, he has found... A midpoint between the Lamar Jackson, Kyler Murray, high-end takeoff and the Patrick Mahomes ability to weave and understand where he is, where everyone else is, and where I can go and what I need to do. And he slaps it all into one package. And, And he's one of the most dangerous offensive threats in the NFL. I think he's underrated. And he's one of the big reasons why they're getting it done. And having A.J. Brown on the field helps as well. And the thing is, you can have one of these 336 rushing yard nights. And because of Hurts' leadership, you're never going to hear a peep from A.J. Brown or Devontae Smith that the ball wasn't thrown enough in their direction. Mike, you
0: know, it's amazing to me that, um, you know, I see some of these MVP uh, polls and, and all that stuff. And I think... I think most people, uh, I think it's very logical to have Patrick Mahomes number one, which I do, and I have Jalen Hurts number two, and I see some people who, who you know, have the odds or, or whatever it is, having them down three, four, or five, I mean, look, it, it, the MVP is a very subjective thing, obviously, you have an opinion about who's the most valuable, but you know, this is a guy who is morphed from being a, um, basically, a, a quarterback who you think that Nick Sirianni wants to be kind of a classic. Uh, you, you know, let's, it, we want you to run. We want you to have the threat of a run. But he's, but we want you to be mostly a pocket guy. Okay. Maybe throwing on the run some, but, you know, not necessarily running that much. And in the last two weeks, he's run 33 times and he's averaged seven and a half yards every time he runs the ball. This is the definition of a gigantic weapon in the NFL. When you're running for 240 yards or whatever it is over a two game period, um, you are putting yourself into the Vic stratosphere and into the Lamar Jackson stratosphere. It's kind of funny, into the Justin Fields (laughs) stratosphere when he plays. But what I look at right now is just how incredibly diverse he can be. And if you right now are a defensive coordinator trying to game plan against the Philadelphia Eagles, you say, huh, you've got one of the great deep threats in football, you know, in A.J. Brown. You've got a guy who can hit him and is proven all year that he can hit him. And then you've also got a guy who runs the ball with as big a threat as Michael Vick ever was in a game. And so that, to me, uh, that is a dangerous, dangerous thing. And that's why, if you're the Tennessee Titans, I'm not exactly sure how you're game-planning this game on the defensive side of the ball.
1: And even if you game plan it, then you got to still implement that plan and stop it, which I think is a different proposition altogether. Let's take a break. When we return, there was a need for a cleanup at the local Walmart on aisle five. Nathaniel Hackett made the mess Wednesday and took out the mop bucket on Thursday. We'll talk about that when PSD Live <laughs> continues right after this.
0: Are there any scenarios where you'd make a change at quarterback if, if if you thought it would give the team a better chance to win? Right now, no. It, it never even crossed my mind. I mean, it, it's not even that close. I mean, he's our quarterback. He's he's been awesome. He's awesome with the team. He works harder than I mean, it, it's unbelievable what he does and how much he's helped all our young. We think about how many young guys we've had to come in there and play for us this year. I mean, we've got all kinds of rookies, undrafted rookies, all these guys, and a lot of the reason why they're doing what they're doing and able to get out there and execute it because Russell's taking that extra time to work with them so I mean
1: he's doing everything he can to help this football team he's our starting quarterback and that's it so it started on Wednesday and the news got obscured by the question of whether half the team did half the team didn't how many were how many weren't present for Sierra's Birthday party for her husband, Russell Wilson, who turned 34, was a surprise party. And my guess is they didn't serve pigs in a blanket at the event. Likely the event of the year that you wouldn't want to miss if it's free food, free drink, and free entertainment. But lost in all that back and forth, and there was the report or whatever it was from NFL media that Russell Wilson has lost some of the locker room. Nathaniel Hackett was asked, point blank, would you consider making a quarterback change if it meant... Your team would be more likely to win games. And he said, right now, no. That was it. Broncos sent out the transcript with that in it. They do a great job of sending out transcripts with the question and the answer. Turns out, immediately afterward, he realized what he'd done. He got in touch with Mike Kliss of Nine News in Denver. And he he got out the mop bucket, as I said earlier. Now, that was Wednesday. Cliss tweeted it. It wasn't in the transcript that they sent out later. This is the Kliss tweet followed up with Hackett after his podium. For the truth is, Hackett followed up with him. Hackett initially said right now no on that question. Hackett strongly clarified he's not changing quarterbacks, not even a thought, not even a question. Russ is our quarterback. You heard the sound from yesterday on Sirius XM NFL radio as Hackett tries to undo the damage. And, Peter, there's two explanations here. Hackett either accidentally said something he doesn't believe or... He accidentally told the truth. Either way, it's an example of one of the skill sets a head coach must have. You must message properly. You must always say the right thing at the right time. And right now, no, was not the thing to say. And then when you realize you screwed up, the challenge becomes, what do you do? Do you let it float or do you go back and try to clean it up? And I think in this case, He may have compounded the mistake. He may have made it more conspicuous by trying to clean it up. Just let it go. Is anybody going to dispute the possibility that at some point, if this continues, you have to see what someone else can do at quarterback. This isn't Tom Brady in his prime. that's being undermined by Bill Belichick. This is Nathaniel Hackett stating the obvious. Russell Wilson just isn't getting it done right now. So the the whole thing was a great exercise in one of the skills that separates a good coordinator From a good head coach. Coordinator's never in that spot. Coach is in that spot all the time. And coach has to get it right every time, Peter.
0: When I heard that, I just said, right now, no. Let me just think for a minute. It's not like Nick Foles is his backup quarterback. You know, it's not like Jacoby Brissett is his backup quarterback. The backup quarterback is Brett Rippon. Okay? Now... I, I'm. I, I don't say this to disparage Brett Ripon, but if he's not the number 32 backup quarterback in football, he's maybe 30 or 31. Okay. So, but and that's just simply stating a fact. Brett Ripon is not a good backup quarterback in the NFL. You wouldn't think of replacing him, uh, replacing Russell Wilson. Now. Second part of this is, you know, the reason why you can't introduce this as even a factor in the thing is that there is a pile of dung falling down on Russell Wilson's head right now, and it has been falling for the last month nonstop, justifiably, justifiably, but what you are trying to do as the head coach of this team, what you're trying to do is you're trying to do everything humanly possible to make sure that that dung storm does not fall with any, any kind of help from the team. Okay? And when he said, right now, no, immediately my first thought was, he just helped. You know, he just basically said, well, right now, no, but who knows? Next week, the week after? So yes, that's Nathaniel Hackett's fault. And Mike, you know, earlier in the show, when we were talking about how this Justin Reed, Hayden Hurst thing was total nonsense, at least to me, okay? I mean, this is meaningful to me. It's meaningful. And because the head coach, and again, maybe he made a mistake, or maybe he was saying, I can't stand seeing this either. And I don't care if we got to play the backup center at quarterback. I can't keep putting Russell Wilson out there. So you don't know what he meant, but that was not a good moment
1: for Nathaniel Hackett. I I tell you what, what I need you to do when we're done today, I'd like for you very much to clear your calendar for the rest of the day, clear your schedule. We're going to get on the phone because I think we now have to sit down And put together, not necessarily a script. We can do the movie treatment like the one that Kramer did when he moved to LA for a little while. And we can rough out a lot of the details, characters, storyline. That'll all take care of itself because we already have the title. And the title is Dungstorm. (laughs) Dungstorm is the title. We will make it work. You start with Dungstorm, baby. You got yourself a box office winner. Let's go ahead and take a break. Show me something, Draft. Don't show me a dung storm when PFT Live continues right after this. Week 13 began last night with the Bills beating the Patriots 24-10 to every Friday in season. We have the Show Me Something draft, and it can be anyone, anything. It doesn't mean you're under pressure. We just want to see. We want to get our popcorn, and we want to see this person do their thing. Peter, you got the first pick. Show Me Something Daniel Jones.
0: And Mike, you know, I've missed saying Show Me Something Daniel Jones. I've really missed that. But show me something, Daniel Jones. Listen, you had a nice little honeymoon for the first two months of this year. Really nice honeymoon. Then things got a little bit rocky in uh, you know, the last four weeks, whatever it was. And right now, this is what uh, your general manager, your head coach, your owner want to see when they're thinking about signing you For the next X number of years, this is a back to the wall, feet on the edge of the cliff game. Washington coming in to play you. This is a team that you have owned in your career. You need to come out in this game. Well, maybe not owned, but at least uh, had a mortgage on. But this is a game that you have to win. Show me something, Daniel Jones. You've got to beat Washington
1: to avoid the basement in the NFC East. Show me something to a Tonga Vailoa. This is the week to do it at San Francisco against a 49ers team whose defense has not allowed a point in the second half of four straight games who shut out the New Orleans Saints last weekend on the very field where we will be playing. Oh, and to complicate matters, on Thursday, Jimmy Garoppolo just happened to blurt out at his press conference that the Dolphins were one of the teams in the mix to trade for Jimmy G earlier this year. Hmm. Would they have traded for Jimmy Garoppolo to be the backup? Or would they have traded for Jimmy Garoppolo to be the starter? Interesting wrinkle that gets thrown into the punch bowl as we approach this game where Tua has a chance, even though we all won't get to watch it. We'll know about it and we'll see the highlights and we can watch the replay on NFL plus or NFL network or wherever else it shows up. If it ends up being a pretty good game, but this is to his chance to really shut everybody up, make a big throw in a big spot, win a big game and move to eight and four. Show me something to a tongue of I love.
0: Uh, To move to nine and three, right? Mike, instead of moving to nine
1: eight and three, and four. sorry, eight and three, nine and three. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. Even better. Nine and three. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Not and to tie, Buffalo for the, to tie Buffalo for
0: the division lead, and they have the tiebreaker right now. But anyway, okay. Yes. Show me something, Aaron Rodgers. Okay, so you're four and eight. It's been a lost season for you, and you've played at times like a lost sheep in the pasture of life. And I think right now, the logical thing to do, some would say right now, Is to play Jordan Love. So right now, you've got to get to the point to five and eight. And you've got to get to that point against a team you have owned in a stadium that you have owned, Soldier Field. And you have to do this because if you don't, the voices to play Jordan Love will be cacophonous on Monday and even on Sunday night. Show me something, Aaron Rodgers. Show me that you should try to lead the Green Bay Packers to the most unlikely playoff berth in recent Packer history.
1: Only from Peter King do you get dungstorm one segment and cacophonous the next segment. Show me something, Deshaun Watson. When it was August and they were figuring out the final specifics of the Deshaun Watson suspension and 11 games came into focus, Watson wanted 10, league wanted 12. They split the difference at 11, presumably. First game back, what is it? Houston Texans, back in town, the place where he became a star, the place he couldn't wait to get out of, the place where he created a major distraction with 20-plus lawsuits. His first game back in 700 days on that field. Yes, he'll be rusty. Yes, it's his first game with a new team. Yes, there are plenty of other factors that could make it difficult for him to be the best he can be but but we're all going to be saying show me something to sean watson when that game starts at one o'clock eastern on sunday we'll take a break we'll wrap up this friday edition of pft live with the last round of the show me something draft right after this there are the first two rounds for the show me something draft for week 13 one more to go peter king you are on the clock Show me something, Trevor Lawrence.
0: You know what, Mike? No one's talking about the Jacksonville-Detroit game. But I find this game really interesting. At the beginning of this year, I said that I think that both the Lions and the Jaguars, the elevator was going up, and I predicted both of them to be 7-10. and 10. Well, one of them, they're both 4-7, and seven, one of them is going to win their fifth game in the first week of December. And so I think both of these teams have shown... Real progress this year. And I think that's encouraging for both. But I talked to Doug Peterson last week and I said, this to me was a coming of age game for Trevor Lawrence to come out and beat a good Baltimore Ravens team with a big drive at the end of the game. And he said, absolutely agree. Show me something, Trevor Lawrence, that you can stack another good performance against a tough team
1: on last week's good performance, show me something, Tom Brady. The Buccaneers somehow blew a late lead for the first time in Brady's career. He was two eighteen and zero when leading by seven or more. Points in the final minute, and they lost to the Browns. And Todd Bowles, the coach of the team, put it on the players, the leaders, to make sure this stuff doesn't happen and they turn it around. They have the Saints coming to town on Monday night. They need this one to keep the Saints from catching up, to keep the Falcons from catching up, to keep the Panthers from having a chance to catch up. This is the one that gets things on the right track as they try to win the division, get to the playoffs, and who knows what happens then. I know what happens now show ends we're out of time peter great stuff as always everyone enjoy the games this weekend we'll see you back here bright and early monday morning
0: what do eight bags of concrete mix a cooler full of 30 pound sea bass and a 10 inch compound miter saw have in common